Welcome to Chip Chat Conversations in the Cloud, a podcast series focused on Intel Select Solutions, a suite of verified solution configurations that can help IT teams meet the demanding needs of a growing infrastructure. Here's your host, Jake Smith. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening. This is Conversations in the Cloud, and I'm Jake Smith, Director of Data Center Technologies. And today is a really special honor for me. I'm joined by Patap Subramaniam, who is a fellow at VMware, only one of four. He's 19 years and started as a principal engineer in 2000. So our careers have crossed many, many paths, and this is the first time we've had a chance to sit down and have a conversation. So welcome, Pratap. Thank you. So, you know, Pratap, we've seen the virtualization industry really emerge as the core component to so many future architectures and usage models in the enterprise, in cloud computing, on the edge. Can you talk a little bit about your journey at VMware for our listeners and where virtualization has come from and where do you think it can go? Sure. My journey at VMware actually started out uh, Valentine's Day year 2000 when I joined what used to be a really small group called the Monitor Group. We built the very first x86 virtual machine monitor. And that formed the core for what turned out to be the ESX hypervisor a few years later. So it's been a joyful ride for many years now. We, I think, fortuitously have made some remarkably good decisions over the years. And as I was telling you, Jake, yesterday, you know, I'm shocked if, uh, about the number of right decisions that have happened, which has brought us here. And we've enabled the industry to succeed too. You know, As we grew, we also helped a large number of partners grow with us at different levels, the hardware level, the software level. You know, I think we were a primary factor in the creation of cloud computing itself in the first place. You know, Amazon, AWS, I think there's inspiration there from virtualization. And the beauty of it all was that initially people felt that virtualization was impossible. It all started out with someone saying that something was actually not possible to do. And once we cracked that nut, you know, a whole bunch of things just became possible all of a sudden. And that's been the most exciting part of this journey for me. Well, you talked about it being sort of the kernel for transformation, the foundation of what became cloud computing. But it's also transforming what is happening at the edge. Can you talk about what VM density means architecturally and why it's so important for the future of compute, virtualization, cloud, really the future of our industry? Right. So the edge has a very different problem than, say, a big data center. At the edge, the devices tend to be far less powerful far less capable of big enterprise quality features that data centers usually enjoy. And what we need to do on the edge is quite different than at the data center, I think, from a lifecycle management perspective and things of that nature. So VMware actually thinks of the edge from the perspective of management, from the perspective of ease of use, from the perspective of just black box design and so on. But our core value proposition of VMware is the capability to run many, many virtual machines on a single piece of host, which basically allows the host's resources to be better utilized. As it turns out on the edge, the kind of applications that run on the edge oftentimes 
allow very nicely for virtual machines to get packed into, say, a single socket or a smaller form factor. So you know, there's a great deal of emphasis that VMware places on server consolidation at the edge. It's not that we don't place a similar emphasis for server consolidation at the data center. We do, but we also think about server consolidation on the edge very much. And you recently announced some of your work on symmetrical multiprocessing fault tolerance for virtual machines. SMP, or symmetrical multiprocessor technology and architectures, are very near and dear to my heart and obviously critical anytime you're deploying Intel architecture. Talk about why fault tolerance for virtual machines and our collaboration together as companies has allowed us to continue to progress virtualization technologies. Virtual machines have become such an integral part of practically every computing that happens nowadays. It is shocking, and but the impact when a virtual machine crashes is now more severe. So about half a decade ago, a small team inside VMware started exploring how to do fault tolerance of virtual machines so that in case a virtual machine crashes, its sibling can just pick up and run from where the crash actually happened regardless of where the crash actually happened, whether it happened in the guest OS kernel or in the application or in the hardware. It shouldn't matter. So that was the goal of the project. And initially when it started out, we used a technology called record and replay, where we would record the unpredictable events happening on the virtual machine and then replay them on the remote side so that the remote side can keep up with what's going on on the primary side. And when the primary crashes, the remote will just basically kick in. And it is actually spooky to watch this, you know. Uh, back in the day when I joined VMware, the magical thing to see was Windows 98 boot. And, um, you know, there's only next, the only other thing that's more magical is to see two Windows 98s boot at the same time, uh, you know, and going in lockstep. And fault tolerance, actually, of virtual machines, we actually got it to the stage where for a single processor, uniprocessor virtual machine, we could actually record the events happening on one and replay it on the other, and then we could get that fault tolerance. But as it turned out, that record replay technique wouldn't take us into symmetric multiprocessing the SMP architectures because the various threads would diverge too much, and then you know we just couldn't get them back to converge. That's a very difficult problem. It was a very science fiction kind of problem. And so we came up with a very different way of dealing with SMP, and that was based on checkpointing, memory checkpointing, and, and virtual machine state checkpointing. So there was a tremendous amount of collaboration that happened between VMware and Intel in that effort. And you know we actually arrived at a scheme where we would checkpoint several hundred times a second the state of a virtual machine and transport that state across the network to the remote side. And then the remote is always, you know, within a few milliseconds behind the primary, uh, no more. And also, unlike the record replay approach, the remote is actually not a running virtual machine. It is just a, a static image of the latest image of the primary virtual machine. So there isn't uh, the same kind of management overhead because it's not a running virtual machine. And if the primary dies, the remote virtual machine basically instantiates that latest image, you know, as a real image, and then just executes from there. This involved 
considerable amount of deep technology work between VMware and Intel. We had two problems, basically. One was to recognize the state of the virtual machine very, very fast because we had to do it you know, 100 times a second. So recognizing what state has changed since the last time we took a picture of the virtual machine required a considerable amount of actual engineering that was between VMware and Intel. We came up with additional data structures from the CPU called PML, the page modification log, that actually kind of told us what has been recently dirtied by the virtual machine since we last took a checkpoint. And then we also used the most recent networking technologies and souped up that to get the image across to the other side. So that was a very interesting project that both VMware and Intel did. And as a result, you know, we brought fault tolerance as sort of something that everybody can use. You know, you could go into vCenter and basically enable fault tolerance for practically any virtual machine as long as you have space to store the checkpointed images on the remote side. And it begins to revolutionize how we think of virtual machines and we also worked on a technology that I was very proud of, and your teams engineered it around what we called VT flex migration for the Nehalem family. But there was always a vision, and you described it, Pratap, as the need between the CPU and memory. So can you talk about what it means in our relationship and our engineering efforts over the last decade to optimize for Optane persistent memory and what it's going to mean into the future for virtual machines? So it's been several years since that very first meeting where Intel came to VMware and described uh, their interest to actually go and build this Optane persistent memory technology. And I looked at it and said, that's a pretty powerful technology if it works, because there's a tremendous amount of inefficiencies in the computer system today simply because of asymmetry in the growth curves of the various components. You know, if you look at the efficiencies that are present in, say, CPU cores and the efficiencies that are present in DRAM, you know, they're worlds apart because DRAM is kind of hitting a wall from a scaling perspective. And you know, if you look at storage, it's so slow in comparison to the speed of DRAM. And if you look at CPU cores, they are marching ahead and you're able to stamp many, many cores out. There's a lot of asymmetry in all of these efficiencies. And computer systems and when people write programs, they're sort of building upon and sort of accepting some of these inefficiencies. The reason why you even have a very scale-out being an interesting problem is because scale-up tends to become really cumbersome at some point from a physics perspective. So what I heard from the Optane announcement several, several years ago was that there was a possibility that we could get really high-density DIMMs, which meant that I could run bigger programs on a singular node. Uh, there was a possibility that I could treat this DIMM as if it was memory, which opened up a bunch of possibilities. If I could imagine an application that didn't even have to think about storage separately than memory, it could just think of memory as storage because it's high density too, sufficiently high density that it could store most of its own data in, in persistent memory. And one of the things that VMware as a company has always tried to do, uh, perhaps not perfectly, but we've tried to do, is to stay up and on par with hardware innovation. Because we feel like successful hardware innovations 
come for a certain reason. They come because efficiencies are being generated into the system that no one can say no to. Applications will leap on these efficiencies and modify themselves. And when something like that happens, we don't want a situation where applications now find themselves not able to run on vSphere. So we tend to keep vSphere aggressively up-to-date with hardware innovations. This is true for a number of different hardware innovations, whether that's GPUs or whether that's FPGA accelerators or whether it is new networking technologies and so on. We just keep vSphere up-to-date so that any application that is written to take you make use of that hardware innovation doesn't have to suddenly find itself, find vSphere to be inhospitable to it. So same thing for persistent memory. We looked at it and said the first order of business would be to shine up the persistent memory that's available on the host into the virtual machine as virtual persistent memory so that an application that's running inside the virtual machine could utilize the virtual persistent memory naturally. So that was the first order of business for us, and we actually had a team of people who virtualized persistent memory in the ESX hypervisor. And, you know, I'm happy to say that project is actually well done and it's released. You know, you could actually now run virtual machines on vSphere if you have Optane underneath, and you could run applications inside this virtual machine that basically see persistent memory as a right royal first-class device, first-class resource. Well, that that is so exciting, Pratap. I have to tell you, it's been a decade since we drove the standard. I want our listeners to know how revolutionary it is. You're very humble in your description of how transformative it's going to make new usage models. So thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm very excited about it. I think, frankly, you know, it took us, we, we moved from 8 bits to 16 bits pretty fast. And then 16 bits to 32 bits, you know, reasonably fast. But then we grumbled going from 32 bits to 64 bits, you know, and I think I won't see 64 bits to 128 bits in my lifetime. But I'm very happy to have been part of such a powerful inflection point because I think persistent memory is going to be one of those inflection points. The Optane persistent memory has two modes, you know, that I really care about. One is what is called, you know, where you put a DRAM cache in front of Optane to kind of smooth out the latency issues. And then we can now have very high density random access memory with a low latency DRAM cache in the front. I think that's a very powerful technique. A large number of applications out there will simply fit into that sort of uh, memory capacity. And it'd be also a good way for them to buy their Optane hardware and kind of be prepared for maybe using it in the future in that direct mode. An app direct mode is a second mode where you basically access a device like you're accessing random access memory using regular loads and stores. And I think that is where it starts getting very interesting. I believe that in the future, maybe in a few years, a large number of applications will find going to app direct exciting. Inside VMware, we have actually modified you know, Redis, which is in-memory key value store, and completely rewritten it to use app direct mode. And, you know, we're seeing some really good performance results as a result of that. We've also, in order to enable people to go in this direction, we've actually modified open source Go runtime environment to help people write Go programs with persistent memory support in it. You know, I could just open up my Go editor and then just type a Go program in and, you know, just say where a transaction starts, where a transaction ends, and Go in, in compiler modifications provides 
native support for persistent memory in it. And this is an open source project that VMware is behind. So Pratap, let's talk a little bit about open source because some people have said that Intel and VMware and the virtualization space are trying to launch all these proprietary things, but we spend... I would argue 70% of our time working with the open source community and driving standards, uh, certainly persistent memory standards were driven specifically uh, with VMware and Intel actively involved together, the DMTF and the, the virtualization and virtual machine standards. We drive a lot of standards around security. Talk a little bit about how open source contribution and standards are so key to what we do. You know, I have to credit Intel quite a bit in the way they engaged with the community when it came to persistent memory. You know, persistent memory changes a lot of things. It changes a lot of the stack. It changes applications, it changes file systems, it changes the way operating systems may be written. It also changes hypervisors. It changes people building device buses. So it changes a lot of things. And I feel that all along the way, everybody was fairly kept up to date. And it's almost two years now since Linux actually had support for persistent memory. Uh, file systems in Linux actually embraced persistent memory and AppDirect mode very early on. You know, that happens because of the contributions made by Intel into open source. Over the last few years, you know, VMware has also picked up Go Runtime and started contributing to it persistent memory support. So I think open source has played a tremendous role here. Um, we've all helped each other by contributing into open source. You know, I don't think many things that VMware did could be possible unless some of these contributions have been made by others into open source. And we are certainly hoping that the contributions that we are making into Golang will help others too. So I think open source has been a very big enabler. And I think in this particular project, we've all worked very hard to share our work with the open source and help each other. No, and I think that's the real message that I want our listeners to pull away from your story, Pratap, because this is, we believe, a watershed moment for our industry in taking on a next phase of compute virtualization cloud architectures. Uh, you could argue containers and bare metal and all of that builds off of the foundation that you've set. Can you talk a little bit about VM density per core? It's a very fun topic for me. I love this, and I don't think anybody does it better than VMware, but I want to talk about it, both what we have today, but really what it enables for the possibilities of the future. So let's give, let me give you a small history uh, to begin this thread of conversation. Now, back in the day, in say 2000 or the early 2000s, VMware's singular value proposition was server consolidation. What that meant was you could buy yourself a very beefy box and basically run tens of virtual machines on it. And the hypervisor basically takes care of and provides for running all of those virtual machines. And we do that by very clever scheduling of these virtual machines, very clever descheduling of the virtual machines when it's not needed. We also share pages between virtual machines to keep the memory footprint low. We do a large number of things to make server consolidation actually happen. And it was a very widely accepted use case from VMware. It was a very successful use case. And what is actually remarkably interesting is it has stayed very useful over two decades. 
server consolidation is still being talked about as a very valuable use case. The number of cores in a single socket has gone up quite a bit in the two decades. Still, this use case remains prominent. You know, as people are able to run more and more virtual machines on a single node or are able to run very big virtual machines where the number of virtual CPUs is very large, it allows for simpler management of the software stack, which is a hidden benefit. The reason why we like to run a lot of virtual machines on a single node is simply because it lowers the management overhead. Into virtual machine communication now runs at a much faster speed because of its in-memory, literally in-memory networking kind of thing. So there's a lot of benefits to running multiple virtual machines on a single node. Let's talk about virtual machine scale. So as we increase the number of cores, and as you know, we just announced a 56-core second-generation Xeon scalable processor, our platinum processor, which goes up to 56 cores. And we know that the market is going to move quickly from what we think is about a 12 to 16 core market into the 20s to 30 cores, depending on the configurations that you're running. But core density drives control for the virtual machine structure and architecture that you've developed. Can you talk about why core density and memory utilization is really going to transform not just where virtualization is in the core of the data center, but how that can transform how virtualization works on the edge of the data center, and as we like to say, from edge to cloud. That's more of a marketing term, but there's real technical merit to the mobility of the virtual machine when you talk about architectures that we discussed. Right. There are a few ways to answer your question. One of the pesky things about some of these applications that we see are that they're big applications. They like to take up a large number of compute threads. They have a fairly large memory footprint. Now, if a single node cannot accommodate their appetite for the number of threads that they want or the amount of memory they want, then software is forced to artificially split them up into multiple nodes and then manage the communication that happens between these nodes, manage the possibility that one of the nodes doesn't respond in a reasonable amount of time, and that causes headaches to software that a cause of lower number of core counts in a socket or a lower amount of memory footprint available on a single node. A different way of saying this is that if we increase the core count and if we increase the memory density per node, many of these problems may actually stop being problems. You know, you will suddenly find yourself being able to run a decent-sized application, maybe a terabyte-sized um, Redis key value store or a RocksDB or something like that in a single node and not turn it into a distributed systems problem, which, which is a difficult problem when commodity applications need to think about it. One of the things that excites me about where technology is today is that the density, with, at least with Optane, the density of memory has definitely gone up significantly to the point where a large number of VMware's applications will fit into uh, memory. You know, I'm excited to hear that Intel is working on increasing the number of core counts because once Optane 
hits the market and demonstrates the value of higher local single node density of memory, suddenly you're going to feel like the number of cores to the amount of memory on a single node is low. We will now be able to run larger virtual machines with larger number of virtual CPUs and using larger amount of memory. All is needed by, say, maybe one or two apps that are running in that virtual machine that are just consuming all of those virtual CPUs and the memory for storing the data and doing analytics and so on. All of that can be done on a single node, which just produces an enormous amount of efficiencies and also reduces a large number of headaches that we typically have to deal with when it comes to distributed systems. So as we begin to think about scale and density, I think this year we're going to have 75 million or 100 million virtual machines launched. The analysts can't even calculate the total number of virtual machines that are going to be kicked off as part of experiments, as part of network infrastructures, as part of network function virtualization transformations, core transformations in telecom and 5G networks. What are your thoughts around that, Pratap? It's almost like there isn't anything that happens today that doesn't run in the virtual machine. Thing. Almost everything people do runs inside virtual machines. One thing that we are always paranoid about and we have our eyes wide open for is we keep looking for these applications that want to run on bare metal because they are using hardware that we don't virtualize. And, you know, anytime we find that, we jump on it and make sure that we virtualize that hardware and embrace that application into vSphere. Therefore, we don't have customers calling us and complaining that they have a data center with tens of machines, you know, that are all fully virtualized. And then there's this two machines sitting on the side that are running these new class of applications that somehow doesn't work well in vSphere. So the more and more the number of virtual machines out there increase, our goal is to you know, make that whole experience of using and engaging with virtual machines a delightful experience. We try very hard in VMware to make vSphere upgrades, vSphere management and virtual machine management really easy and intuitive. We've also never stopped thinking about new, new things that we can do with virtual machines, um, new, new spaces to take virtual machines into. We work hard inside VMware to make the boot time of a virtual machine really, really small. We work hard to make the virtual machine's memory footprint small so that it can actually fit into smaller machines that might be present on the edge. So a lot of things that we do for virtual machines, I think overall, should be well-received by our customers. Well, you talked about something that we are really excited about, customer obsession and delighting our customers. Why is it so important when you're building tools and core software for so many different virtualized applications across the industry, you know, from uh, the select solutions that we do for VMware vSAN to the work that we do with NSX, the cloud foundation work. Talk about why it is so important to delight the customer and the user experience when managing their virtual machines. Every workflow, every user typically engages with virtual machines, sometimes without even knowing today. Grad students in college are using virtual machines for their projects and so on. If an error 
is introduced into vSphere, it can show up in tens of thousands of virtual machines very quickly. So the impact is pretty massive. So we focus very hard on keeping them user very happy. One of the mantras that we carry in engineering VMware is that vSphere it just works. We don't like it when we have situations where vSphere doesn't satisfy our customers. And it's very critical that we do that because this has become a, a household item. Virtual machines are not a, a sort of a concept anymore. They're, everybody knows about virtual machines. Back in the day, I remember, you know, to install a piece of software, you get the software delivered home and there'll be like eight floppy drives on it, inserting one floppy drive after another to install a piece of software. And, you know, after that, usually it won't work. You know, that was the expected behavior. Nowadays, I don't think that is possible. Stuff just has to work. Expectations are much higher. Pratap, thank you so much for being here. It's been uh, one of my favorite conversations in the cloud ever. And I think our listeners are going to get a great deal out of it. And they can always find out more information about the Intel VMware Alliance at www.intel.com forward slash VMware or www.vmware.com forward slash partners, strategic technology partners forward slash Intel. But before we sign off for today, talk a little bit about where you think the future of virtualization technology is going, why ESX, Optane, and second-generation Xeon Scalable are such compatible solutions for our customers, and what you think the future may be. Just give our listeners sort of a look into what you see coming. Sure. VMware will continue to keep making virtual machines easier to use and more prevalent vSAN as a storage layer that VMware has produced, I think is going to be a very powerful piece of software. And when you combine persistent memory that Intel has produced with the vSAN that VMware has produced, I think you're going to have an explosive combination there. There are many at VMware already starting to think about what needs to be done for clustered persistent memory, you know, thinking about the high availability of it and all of that stuff. So there's plenty of exciting things going on at the infrastructure level between Intel and VMware. Well, thank you. On behalf of Intel Data Center Group and Intel Corporation, I am beyond overjoyed at having today's guest, Pratap Subramaniam, a fellow at VMware. This is Jake Smith, Director of Data Center Technologies. This has been Conversations in the Cloud. Wherever you may have listened to this podcast, we wish you a good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. We'll be right back.